Hi, listeners. Welcome to Healing in Plain Sight, All Things Asian in the Workplace. I'm Echo. I'm Jenny. And I'm Doug. Hi. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about affirmative action in the workplace and also uh, part of the recent Supreme Court ruling on the uh, their decisions on the affirmative action. And to begin with, I have to say, like personally, I'm very anxious about talking about this topic itself, given its sensitivity and complexity.、Uh, I don't know how about you, Jenny and Duck, about talking on this topic. Feel the same way. Like I feel like there's a you know there's a, a lot of information here to digest, and there's a lot of complexity and nuance here that we hope to convey to our listeners, and. You know, for me, this is something that I'm like、um, constantly evolving in as I learn more about it and see how it affects、uh, educational institutions and eventually the workplace, and how that plays a role in、uh, you know in the system overall. I'm with you too. I'm feeling a little bit of anxiety、um, about this topic just because it hasn't really been talked about, at least where I come from, like in the workplace or even at school. Like we've never had a chance to really talk about this from our perspective. And I know we, as in like Asian Americans, we get、uh, used as、um, you know this like object to be pit against other minority groups. In a, so that they can support this effort to dismantle affirmative action. So it's going to be interesting to kind of talk about this. And awesome, yeah. So、um, with that emotion and the feelings、um, abounded us that、uh, we're going to be talking.、Uh, so there will actually be two parts of this conversation happening. The first part that we're going to be Uh, talking about are merely what it is and、uh, in what is the affirmative action in the workplace means for Asian Americans,、um, and what this means to us. And then in the second part, we're going to be talking about some of the implications and how we can do with it.、Uh, so with that,、uh, today going to be our first part.、Um, so Doc Jenny, you also wanted to give our listener a quick description or introduction on what it is. And how we can dive into that topic?、Uh, sure, but before we do, I think we wanted to mention that、um, these are our opinions only, and they don't represent,、um, you know, the organization that we work with. So just keep that in mind as you listen to the podcast.、Um, yeah. So yeah, let's start with the definition of affirmative action. Yeah. So、uh, affirmative action plans are usually, and quote unquote, this is、uh, from one of the papers that we're going to be introduced today. Um, I think some of the key facts that has been brought up、uh, is it was designed originally to facilitate some of the workplace success for members of groups that they target. So, for example, like women or ethnic minorities,、um, and that has been some of the、uh, initial intent when the from the action has been introduced by the Supreme Court、uh, back in the history. Okay, and just so our listeners know, there are different types of、uh, affirmative action plans. So, for instance, there could be an opportunity enhancement、uh, program where they provide、uh, extra resources to, to、um, affirmative action plans. Um, sorry, 
affirmative uh, action programs. Uh, the affirmative action um, research that we'll be talking about deals with a lot of uh, uh, issues such as gender and race, and there are different forms of it. And today what we're going to focus in uh, mostly is on uh, race and education. Okay. Well, I think we need to address the elephant in the room. So why is it so difficult or why are we feeling anxious about talking about this topic as Asian, Asian Americans? It's very interesting being a Asian, uh, living in the States and working in the U.S. firm. I constantly have been hearing two voices in my own community. Mm-hmm. And one voice, it's absolutely pro-affirmative action. And in that case is, yes, we should be doing a lot of those preferential uh, support for the target of the race group. Um, and then there's another voice, uh, which is absolutely, this is not what we needed for Asians has been discriminated because of affirmative action. And I comp- sometimes get very, uh, get complex the view because some of those voice coming from my friends that I, uh, just uh, interact on the daily basis. And for me, it's not that black and white. Jenny, as you mentioned like earlier, like I want us to have a deeper thoughts and perhaps even like a third voice on, on talking about this topic. And oftentimes I see this divide happening in the Chinese community, in the Asian community as a whole, um, which is not something I believe the affirmative action intended to be in the first place. And just to add on to that, I think the reason why it's so politically sensitive is the fact that it's used to kind of pit us or compare us to Blacks and Latinos and, you know, saying what's good for them is bad for Asians and what's good for Asians is bad for them. And that's that kind of like, uh, you know, binary view that a lot of people seem to hold, even people in our community as well. Hmm. Can I just air something real quick? There's, there, there it, Jenna, you really put like, you know, uh, hit it on the uh, on the nail uh, on the, uh, the nail on the head. There is a, a sense of really like anxiousness in me in when I talk about this because I feel like there may be things that we say that may come off as like anti-black or anti-Hispanic, and that's mm-hmm. not the perspective we're trying to come from. It's more so to show, like Echo, like you said, there's a third, pers- uh, there's a different uh, perspective uh, on this where we want things to be a little bit fairer. And because there's limited voices in uh, this discourse, it may, it may come off or may sound um, anti-minority. And like Jenny, like you said, it makes us become that wedge that really uh, pits us against other minorities. But I think our perspective, or at least uh, my perspective on this is to really showcase that, you know, we just wanted to be treated fairly just like other groups and not to be punished for uh, the things that we do or the, for uh, our aspirations. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, Echo, you talked about the, those two views. So the, the people who are not, who are against affirmative action because they think it's, 
it's unfair, it discriminates against Asians. And then I also heard from the opposite direction where, you know, there are Asian Americans who support it wholeheartedly. And they even say, Asians don't need affirmative actions. Like we, we need to just wait our turn or we don't, we are, you know, white, we're privileged. So just give all the resources and attention to Blacks and Latinos. So I think that's the view that is a bit, um, I think, too simplistic. And I think hopefully listeners, if you're listening, uh, hopefully we can go on this journey with us and see what we're trying to convey using you know, a more, I guess, a complex approach to how we view and support affirmative action. So what should we do? Should we just start with like, okay, let's just do a quick round robin. Race conscious policies. Do you support it? Yes or no? Like while you think I can go first, at, at its core, I support race conscious policies. I think you need to incorporate a person's race into, you know, selection, promotion, but it shouldn't be the main thing or it shouldn't be the only thing that you look at. Jenny, I'm totally with you in that, you know, um, there are stories and narratives that people will, you know, um, bring to academia and the workplace. And it's not just like a check mark of what their race is and what they bring. So like to really identify like, you know, high achievers or those who can kind of fit into the program or can do the work within the organization, I think a deeper scrutiny of what they can bring or what they have showcased in their own experiences, I think would be something that people want to take a deeper uh, look at beyond, beyond race. Uh, I think Jenny, you use this word really like smartly it's race conscious policy meaning like we're not saying here like we should absolutely consider race as a decision factor or we should not but rather it's a conscious about the race and there's so many things to interpret that race itself and where we're probably going to get into in one of the paper that done by leslie at all in 2014 whether we want it or not race is already something that we have in our back like unconsciously. And it's a matter of like how we are actually treating race in our decision-making. And that's probably more important on some of the work that we're getting, getting into. Can I just air that real quick? I, I just, there is something that's so jittery. I'm like so jittery, like right now. Like, and I don't know if I'm the only one. Um, or if this is like, because I know it's recorded now. Because I know last week we were talking about it. Like, I, I felt so different about it. Mm -hmm. uh, I know like these other studies have like, have just, they're just there and it really amplifies what we want to say. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for this affirmative action, I totally get it, like, for folks who are pro it, because, like, there's a historical context for why uh, people of color have been discriminated. And there's a reason why these uh, guidelines and regulations have been put in place since the 1960s is because mm -hmm. people have been discriminated, right? Uh, people yeah. of color and women have been discriminated against this entire time. And the fact that we still have these laws or these guidelines from the 1964, 65 still kind of says that our system that we have in place probably still is biased, sexist, colorist, uh, 
and all that. And uh, there's a part of us that's, uh, I feel like, well, there's a part, uh, one part saying like, when are we going to end it? And the other part is like, well, we'll end it when things are, there's less discrepancy. And as we dive into this, I feel like there's this nuance of discrepancy and it gets me all excited about it, but I don't know why it is. I'm so kind of anxious to kind of kind of talk about this because it does highlight something, you know, uh, or uh, within, you know, Asian and Asian American communities. And I feel like, uh, am I not representing them? Am I going to be uh, come like this contra person or just be viewed as negatively, if that makes any sense? I guess Who would view negatively? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I think it's kind of like when Echo, when you brought up, like there's two communities that say like, yeah, we're pro um, affirmative action in that. Yeah. There's certain minority groups that, you know, uh, don't uh, get enough or have enough uh, resources. And then there may be others that says, yeah, you know, Asian and Asian Americans have enough resources. Why are we even focusing on them? And I think the things that we're going to about to dive into about with like the advantages and the disadvantages groups within the Asian American community, because it's still diverse, right? It's not just from um, Saudi Arabia to Hawaii. That's a huge like group of people that when we say that they're they're Asian, there's like South Asian, West Asians, uh, uh, Southeast Asians, uh, Pacific Islanders that like we are so diverse in that but but yet we still check just at least just one of the boxes right when we were comparing about race white african-american hispanic and asian and asian is i feel like asian is 50 percent of the world's population mm-hmm. it, it is the most diverse group too um if just in terms of diasporas and cultures and nationalities within the u.s asian americans that aapi label is the most diverse i think followed by Latino Americans, because they also have a lot of different cultures and diasporas. Yeah. But you're highlighting a very good point. And I think part of the anxiety that I'm also feeling is because we haven't really had a chance to talk about this. And I think it's a muscle that you have to kind of like exercise. Mm. And I know we've talked about it offline a few times, but, uh, you know, this is the first time we're actually airing it publicly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think one thing that I, I think even like at the beginning, when we first started that conversation, I, I couldn't speak this uh, on behalf of you two, but to me, like the the level of anxiety actually decreased the, uh, as I'm treating this more from a learning perspective. I wanted to learn more about this topic, even though it, this means like I might be completely wrong in my first impression or interpretation of what this matter is. But as I'm learning this pro, uh, this, this conversation, this topic, I learned so much by even just like looking at different views of points on the study that people have put together, um, the, the narrative they have said about this issue and why this matters and why there are certain point of view being raised and again, like not to mention, like educate myself on the some of the uh, legal terminology that I'm probably not, otherwise will never get into. Um, so for me, like probably slightly like a different from what you are speaking to, Doc, is um, 
I I actually feel like this is probably the right time for for us to to be talking about this and just treating this as like a learning experience and same for our listeners as well. Like if we all be open to learn what the different opinions really cast on this topic, I, I think it's one way to get there. Okay. I love it. That might be a good segue for um, introducing the concept of negative action. So this is what I don't support. So negative action is defined as the unfavorable treatment based on race using the treatment of whites for comparison. And in the context of, this is still in the context of um, education policy. So negative action against Asian Americans is enforced if a university denies admission to an Asian American who would have been admitted had that person been white. So that is negative action. And I think some people have a tendency to conflate that with affirmative action. And I think that's the problem here. I, I, Jenny, I think the, the study that you're uh, referencing also brought out some really interesting uh, ideas, right? Of like um, the uh, certain races that they're going to be brought in, there's a certain amount of that they can't go uh, threshold that they, they shouldn't go across uh, or beyond, right? Uh, I think uh, in this paper, I think they mentioned that there's certain rules that was passed during the Clinton administration where it shouldn't be more than three times their population within the U.S., so if Asians were three percent, the most that they can do, a uh, uh, most that can be admitted is nine percent. But mm-hmm. I mean, these are educational institutions. If you're an educational institution, you want the best and the brightest, and who want uh, folks who score the best. Why are you penalizing uh, folks who score highly and do really well? So, um, and I think also, I think part of it also. Uh, in a way kind of ties into the history of the, I think the immigration act of 1965, where it actually did limit uh, the immigration of Asian and Asian Americans, or at least not Asian Americans, but Asians to the U S because it, they only allowed um, those who were well-educated to actually come over and work. And, uh, and of course they limited the unification of families as well too. So partly why like, you know, Asian, the Asian population could be, it is uh, lower and has grown is part of the immigration uh, act of 1965 as well too. So if we use that, right. And uh, we apply that we're, we're always going to get, I think feel like fewer Asians if that, oh God, I'm going. No, go. That's fine. Yeah, uh, and, I, and I feel if we use that, we're going to um, just consistently get fewer Asian folks admitted, even if they they are just as qualified, if not even more, more qualified, qualified or more strongly qualified. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. Well, I think like. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just saying, like on that itself like i i like the angle and this might be something slightly different from what you uh you were describing uh doug um, a different angle is i like how they use what's the the main source of contention there which is it's the majority group that we are comparing those minority group to mm-hmm. uh and oftentimes like when when we see uh opinions about like the like people are talking about affirmative action is action against Asians they're having like a discrimination on the Asian itself we need to be clear about 
the the impact of on like on Asians. So sometimes like often or oftentimes that we hear is Asians are comparing to like white uh, sorry uh, to black or Latino populations in this case in education case. And oftentimes, yeah, like Asians do get more seats than those people due to the merit-based ratings and things like that. But it's this notion that it's the majority group that we're comparing to. And if this person is being identified as white, will they be able to get into that institution? And that's where we see, I love about this paper or this the, this notion of negative action is to compare Asians to the white majority. And this person, if they were identified as white, they, their chance of getting into that institution increases. I think that's the, the, the essence of it. Yeah, yep. And uh, the nice thing about the, the, the court case was um, there has been a release of data, of admission data, and um, one study actually looked at, combed through all that data, and they built a statistical model. And they showed that the preferred model shows that typical Asian American applicants would see their average admit rate rise by close to 20% if they were treated as white applicants. So I think that's a huge takeaway. And I'm surprised that that's not being talked about in the media. Instead, what is being talked about is oh, this is good for Asians, but it's bad for Blacks and Latinos. And again, it creates that divide between us and the Black and Latino community, which I think is not productive. Instead, we should be focusing on negative action and comparing Asians to whites. And I think people who support either indirectly or directly white supremacy don't want to have that conversation. And it's easier for them to pit us against Blacks and Latinos rather than whites against everybody else, right? Among all, like Asian male is the one get penalized the most <laughs> for some reason because I I think in in the study they have shown uh, I, I mean they didn't talk about the, the the rationale or the reasons but we know like women actually has be become more of a target of the the protected group uh, uh, in a lot of those like admission decisions so somehow that kind of mitigates the impact on Asian female. But it's the Asian male part that actually gets the worst. Um, and this, this, like Jenny mentioned earlier, like the, their admission, uh, if the typical Asian American applicants see their average admit rate can rise by 19%, that this number could be even higher for Asian male. Oh, put it on me, Echo. <laughs> Maybe that's <laughs> anxious. <laughs> representing the males and I'm like I'm not sure I can do all of it can we backtrack just a little bit because I there's there's I think work that Jenny's done uh in the past and I don't know if you're still doing it now Jenny you used to consult to students who are going uh who were applying to uh to college uh, could you talk a little bit some of the, about some of the work that you did there and what guidance and um, you gave them uh, based on what you knew in this realm already on how to guide them through uh, this education selection process? Yeah, so oh, God, thanks for reminding me. Uh, so I used to 
consult um, and help students with their college essays. And my students were all Chinese nationals. So all Chinese students coming from China who were going to high school in the U.S. and they needed you know, help with the, the college application process. And the advice that I would give them is downplay your Asian-ness in your college application. So don't talk about being Chinese. Don't talk about being Asian because that's going to be a penalty for you. So if you can you know, try and differentiate yourself from things that are stereotypically Asian. So I had a, several students who I was working with from sophomore year onward, and they would join sports teams and um, join a, um, like after school activities and do and try and get themselves nominated for leadership positions on those teams to really try and showcase the fact that they're fighting stereotypes that people have about Asians. So that's the advice that I gave them kind of hard, sad to, to be told that you have to hide a part of your identity but I know that you know yeah. Asian students are just put to a different standard when it comes to admission yeah. Jane, when you told them that what was their like like rea- like reaction to that when you said like hey don't talk about your race like try to hide it or be subtle about it what was their uh how did they feel about it and like did they listen to you did they feel like they wanted to fight it like what was the uh how did they um yeah how, what was that interaction like you know what the typical reaction that i would get was yeah i know i know i know that's you know i know i'm i've been told that by my friends i've been told that by other counselors um, who've worked with me on my you know so yeah it's it's something that is kind of drilled into them and you're definitely not alone there uh jenny as a consultant uh i mean even in that paper they they also noticed this like it's a common practice for a consultant to say hey don't play the asianness in your application i i think one thing i also wanted to call out uh just reading that paper like um seeing like the criteria that they had on admitting those students of course academic is the biggest uh, is a big one that they look at but the the one that actually make a bit of a difference uh, in terms like the decision itself is actually the personal trade uh, rating and in this case i believe it's it's required like an interview by some readers um, in their interview uh, panel and uh, you will bought in and you will have an interview with this um, either it could be like a nominee or it could be someone that the school has appointed to can speak to the quality that you needed to get admitted to Harvard. And what they have found out is uh, Asians do not only <laughs> score worse than whites, but they also score worse than African-American and Hispanics. Um, and it's not... in. And also, like from the other minority groups, they're scoring the uh, the least. Um, and it's strongly, I mean, like the rating, the criteria itself is strongly correlated with admission. 84% of white admits score two or better on the personal rating compared to 18% of white rejects. Meaning like this really plays a big weight uh, in terms of the admission decision itself. Um, and to me, this is a fascinating data because the academic rating itself, it's objective. It's out there. Like it's based on your SAT, your like other 
uh, school rating that you had done, um, that you, you'll be able to improve this over time uh, as you put more resource and energy and effort into it. But this personal rating, on the other hand, it's subjective. It's not even in your control. And oftentimes, I think what gets neglect is um, this bias that coming to that decision process, like whether or not by the process itself or by the, the your interviewers. Um, and so yeah. maybe we should just unpack what personal rating is. So personal rating is um, on a scale of one to five, with one being the highest value and five being the lowest. And it's basically rating a person based on how likable the person is, right? Mm -hmm. Their courage and their kindness and other vague uh, uh, traits. And uh, what do we know about how Asians are view viewed on like warmth? You know, the friendliness factor, the interpersonal factor. We've probably talked about, we've definitely talked about this in our previous episodes, but when it comes to personal rating, like likability, Asians typically score. Well, I like Asians. Or <laughs> less. They, they score less than um, uh, other races simply because people have this stereotype that Asians are just not likable. Like, yeah. They're not interpersonal. Yeah. And for our listeners, um, uh, Echo is alluding to this uh, other article about Asian American discrimination in Harvard admissions and how um, most things were um, pretty much. Um, the same, right? Uh, GPA, extracurricular. But one of the things that really stood out was this personal rating uh, that mentioned uh, that uh, Jenny mentioned on likability, courage, and kindness, this vague concept that was kind of also news in this uh, approach to admit students. And this is the thing that was uh, had the most significant impact for, for Asians uh, for Harvard, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what if someone, I mean, what if someone were to say, well, duck, that's because Asians are not friendly. They are less, what was it, less kind, less courageous, and less likable than everybody else. Like, what would, what would you respond to that? Oh, my gosh. I would, I would say I beg to differ. Um, I would say, like, you know, um, as a Southeast Asian, like, to say you're not courageous, like, our families lived through a war, came over and with nothing and started uh you know from scratch and got as far as we did to say that we're not courageous for those who anyone who's immigrated to this country within their generation to say that they're, they're not courageous or they have not taken risks to make it better for their family i think it's kind of laughable to rate asians or even asian americans low on courage okay and i think they, they have to be uh, in a way i think they have to be, uh, you know, um, in a way, maybe even kind or kind to themselves to let them know, like, or to, to, to even believe in themselves to think that they can actually go that far. So to, to indicate that, you know, Asians are, or uh, Asians lack interpersonal skills, I feel like those who are holding on to those stereotypes are in a way holding on to old stereotypes of maybe Asians as coolies or uh, a menace to Western society who are taking away jobs from white folks who can't speak English. Uh, I beg to differ, but our generation is different and our generation is here to stay. And we are competent and likable, courageous and kind. Oh, preach. I, I don't think I can follow that duck. 
No, yeah, uh, you can't prepare there. Um, and Jenny, this is exactly the reason why I felt like earlier on you asked that question on like, are we support of uh, race conscious policy? Exactly. Like I feel like in this case, if we continue to use those criteria in our decision making, the utter removal of the race itself wouldn't be the wouldn't be the the, the way to do this because we all know those stereotypes still will at play. Mm-hmm. And the fact that if we continue to use as those as a criteria and we continue to use human in our decision making for those admissions uh, decisions it's going to be problematic. And the way lack of the education, lack of the awareness of how those stereotypes can play into those decisions is problematic to me. Mm-hmm. Can I just share a real, real quick story? Yeah. So, you know, on Facebook Marketplace, you can sell stuff. Yeah. You now it's like Craigslist. Um, so, you're, you know, you're selling small stuff. And one time I, I logged on and I realized that there was a rating, like, like you can rate the seller. So I've sold a few things over the past few years, like, you know, like if I had an extra set of, set of like AirPods or like an extra keyboard, I would just sell it for like five, 10 bucks online, especially when I was moving. And I looked at my, my rating and everything else was a five star except for friendliness. That was a four star. And I was just like, what the F? Because it's not like I go out and I'm like, you know, an asshole, but I'm not like going out of my way to be like, oh my goodness, how are you? How are you? I was very just like, just regular, like just like, yeah. hey, how's it going? Are you the person? Here it is. It's 10 bucks. Bye. You know, I'm just like my normal self. But to be dinged on that, I'm just like, that's fucking stereotype. And I'll beat that out. Well, uh, Jenny, also, what's the baseline for that fitness rating? Is four already being considered as like a high score? Or no, this four to like... five. So everything else was five. So I think it's like the value of the thing, the whatever, but then friendliness. I'm like, well, I'm like Facebook. Why do you even need friendliness on, on, on this, on this app? It's just marketplace. Like, why do you have to rate people on friendliness? Now I'm intrigued to see like, what's the friendliness rating on Facebook for Asian sellers versus other races. Um, yeah, <laughs> very intrigued. <laughs> I would be curious too, just to know like the friendliness of New Yorkers versus Asians. And just by default, because we were, you were, I, I believe you were, you, when you were selling stuff, you were probably in New York, right, Jenny? Yeah. Well, New York and um, yeah, yeah. Mostly New York. Yeah. And I, I wonder if like, if New Yorkers like just got a three and you got a four. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Doing that basically definitely uh, is important. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I won't be surprised if you are rated lower because you're Asian. I won't be surprised. Wait, here's the thing. I know we're joking about this uh, uh, um, out of just like, you know, just because we're good friends with Jenny, but like these, like th- these ratings have implications on whether we're, uh, we're viewed as likable, warmth, or competent, right? And how they uh, potentially view for, uh, uh, other folks view Asian and Asian Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So bringing this back to the workplace, like, why do we care about affirmative action or negative action against Asian and Asian American employees in the workplace? Because what what could that look like? Yeah, I, 
I can probably share a bit about what I have observed over the years as uh, because of this um, impact from the academia space or the education field, a lot of companies has become more conscious about like, hey, our diversity representation, how we can bring up that number. And uh, a lot of them have introduced diversity goal as part of the diversity initiatives in their company to bring up that diversity representation. And oftentimes that's focused more on women or uh, on Black, uh, African-American, or Hispanic population. I haven't heard any companies will have Asians on that diversity goal. Yeah. So if I can add to that, like I, I used to do some work for one of the big four, I won't say which one. Uh, and one of their main uh, recruitment uh, uh, approaches was actually use, to use campus recruiting. They would actually get about 90% of their interns, and I think... Uh, uh, of those uh, 90% of the interns, like 80% of them will get full-time job offers. Well, if you're doing campus recruiting, where are they recruiting from? They're recruiting from edu- uh, education, uh, educational institutions, right? So if there's a you know quota or there's limitations within those educational Im- uh, institutions, by proxy, there's going to be a- an effect at some of the uh, uh, larger organizations that u- utilize campus recruiting. Now, I'm sure like some organizations or uh, 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 most organizations are a little be- being a little bit more conscient, uh, conscious about that, but I'm going to go ahead and go out of my way and say I, I, I would assume that most organizations are lazy and want to use educational institutions as a way to select folks for them, and then they go in and select the best and the brightest of those folks. And in doing so, in a, it kind of perpetuates... Uh, some of the inequities that are already there within educational institutions. And if we don't fix or highlight some of the inequities there, I think it'll show up in the workplace as well too. So just to play devil's advocate, uh, so you're talking about the pipeline issue, but what if someone were to say, well, duck, then Asians don't have a problem because look at any university, Asians make up a huge chunk of the student population and many of them end up graduating and going to these job fairs and finding jobs at big four, top five. So why are you complaining? <laughs> uh, I mean, that's a great point, right? Um, you know, um, you know, and we take a look at like those companies, right? Those uh, consulting organizations and even big tech companies. And Echo, feel free to chime in on this. Um, we see a lot of uh, Asian and Asian Americans, you know, in the entry and the mid-level uh, positions. But, you know, what's kind of interesting is that we actually don't see a lot of uh, Asian and Asian Americans in top leadership, uh, specifically CEOs or board of directors. So what is going on with that? If we do have this amazing pipeline, mm-hmm. uh, where is that leakage to the top, where is that leakage to upper uh, management and uh, top top leadership? Because we're not seeing them when we take a look at Fortune 500 CEOs or board of directors or folks up top. Can I chime in just a ways like a different hiring approach that I've seen this uh, take place these days? 
So, um, Doc, I think what you mentioned there is like um, just general campus recruiting, recruiting like inherent a pipeline issue uh, for some minorities uh, representing in the workplace. And I believe some of the companies already noticed that, that they have taken actions to have more of a diversity hiring uh, strategy, meaning they will go to non-targeted schools and they will go to uh, some of the um, school with a certain like demographics. And in this case, uh, oftentimes it's African-American and Hispanic. Um, but that's more on this like inter-level roles. And you're talking about campus recruiting. There is the first role that people, those kids get out from the grad school or from the, the, from the college. I think the issue more for Asians uh, are more of in the leadership roles, where I am aware that some of the companies having all those like diversity slates in place, they wanted to make sure there's a diverse representation of that candidate's pool before they can bring them to an interview panel and then like later on offer them a, a role eventually. And that's usually targeted more at uh, uh, senior level roles. And oftentimes what we know is uh, when they define diversity or diverse states, those are not including like Asians to be frank. Um, and so, so some of the criteria they made is as long as this diverse slate has like a woman or as long as this diverse state has an African-American or Hispanic, that's their diversity. Uh, means and so Asians have never become a a uh, target group to be considered in that state. Um, that's I see as a bigger problem for Asians uh, compared to like a campus recruiting itself. Yeah, I, I think one thing there also to mention on that particular one, I know a lot of companies setting those diversity goals as a aspiration goal for them to reach that, that uh, diversity representation. I just hate to miss when Asians are not even in that dialogue, uh, even knowing like some of the genesis of affirmative action is to bring all the minority groups on the same starting line there. And I just feel like Asians has always been left out in that case because you, we were considered as doing fine. We are the role models and you already being able to land that job. Why don't you even bother to reach another goal here? Um, and using a lot of companies using this so-called like a quota system um as a mean to that goal meaning like hey we need to increase this uh representation for certain population by this year um but to me it's just so like so um so single sourced of uh, like if we're talking about like we have different venues to get to that goal this is just one of not saying like ineffective it's actually being very effective for African-Americans and Hispanic population um, and some of the other mi minorities. But is this the only means that we can get to that goal? Is that the, it's just to me, like that has been considered too simple of a solution. Well, I wanted to go back to what Doug was saying about like campus recruiting and then uh, it relates to what you just said, Echo, um, was it's not just so if you just look at Asian Americans as a whole, then yes, we're overrepresented and 
of course, we're going to make it into the pipeline until we hit uh, the, the leadership level, right? But if you start to parse it out and you look at like Southeast Asian, um, for example, they're underrepresented. So if you are, let's say, Hmong, Cambodian or Vietnamese American, I would say like they should be affirmative action should apply to them, like in the admission process, in the entry level, because they are a underrepresented group. Uh, but perhaps it might not apply to people like me or you, Echo, because we're a Korean and we're Chinese, like we're overrepresented as a, as a whole. But again, like I think it takes that kind of like complex approach of like tr not treating all Asians the same. And then going back to what you said about Asians not being included in DEI practices, well, let's talk about like what, how that makes us feel. Like, I, I think we've, we briefly mentioned this like in one of our earlier episodes about like, like when I go to a DEI panel, and I'm saying, saying DEI panel, so this is inclusive of everybody. And they talk about all races except for us, or talk about the underrepresentation, the marginalization, but don't include Asian Americans or Asians. I'm like, I kind of tune out because I'm like, okay, you are one of those people who view us as your enemy. Like we are the group that you don't want to include. So that's kind of how I feel when I see policies like that. But we can get to like some of the more nuanced ways in which I support um, affirmative action in the workplace, but not at the expense of leaving out Asians, especially, you know, when it comes to like leadership positions. Jenny, if I can piggyback off of that, um, I would say like my feelings on that when I feel like we're left out is I'm, I'm kind of frustrated and I feel that the incumbency is upon me to explain and kind of teach. And when I have the energy, it's it's great but when i don't it's kind of frustrating because i'm i feel like um you know this this is a systemic problem and i'm an individual so i'm trying to take a look at the the different levels of way the way i'm trying to approach this and i feel like even me as an individual trying to change or educate a certain amount of people like it won't be as effective unless i can somehow play a smaller role or play some sort of role into this uh into the system because if i do it at the individual group level it's not going to make it very far and it's exhausting right yeah yeah absolutely and it's just it's exhausting it's frustrating and it feels like it's the same kind of um, conversation over and over but i'm trying to as as you bring this up i'm trying to renew this patience right and like um echo mentioned i think earlier I'm also taking it as an opportunity for me to learn. So when these, you know, opportunities come up for these DEI panels, you know, you know at uh, other organizations or even our professional conference PSYOP, I'm going to really highly consider it because I feel like, you know, we, we're going to have to make that change. Whether we do it at the smaller group level or the organization level at PSYOP, like we're going to have to have a multi-pronged approach to this to, to have some sort of effect within our lifetime. Yeah, I think it's actually a really good like segue to end today's section, um, and we will have part two on continue to talk about some of the implications that you mentioned there, Doc. Um, how does make us feel? How can we deal with this um, policy? And some recommendations and some ideas that we have. So I know this can be a depressing topic and. At the end of the day, you know, I think we're all in this together, whether you're Asian, Black or Latino. And I think it's 
helpful to figure out a way, well, how do we have this conversation um, and kind of shy away from that zero sum mentality, which is, I think, a big issue with affirmative action. Yeah. Can I add one last thing to this? Yes. Um, gosh, you know, I my feelings on this is like, you know, people, people of color, um, you know, Black, Hispanic, Asian, and, and women, we've all, we have been talented and competent. Uh, I just wish the, the system that we're living within would recognize that. And I think maybe it's incumbent upon us as uh, these co uh, the, the co-hosts of this uh, podcast to amplify this message that we're here to stay and, hey, recognize us for who we are. Yeah, preach, Doc, preach. So, uh, ChatGPT has uh, written us another haiku for this episode. And Echo, would you uh, close us out by giving us, a, us that haiku? Sure. Equal chances sought. Asians' tenants bloom and thrive. Affirmations light. Ooh, I love it. I love it. I love it. Thank you for that. Thanks, ChatGPT. Yeah. As always. Don't, don't take our jobs, but you know, continue to write. <laughs> <laughs> Meaningful haikus. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you for tuning in to Hidden and Plain Sight, your podcast for all things Asian. Catch us on the next one where we will continue this conversation. Woo! Okay.